Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. It took us a little while to get in our groove of connecting with one another, and now I'm breaking it up. Sorry. <laughs> um, we want to experience God's presence. We want to be encouraged by connections with one another. And we want to be equipped. So that's why we do all these things, to provide space for that. Uh, we've been doing a new series. The theme has been All Things New. Our passage for that is from Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, and I'm going to read the message version um, just to start us off. The context is that one of God's prophets is speaking to the Israelites, and he's reminding them of their exodus from Egypt and how he brought them through the Red Sea and how he's done great and mighty things for them, but this is a new day and a new season. And he says, this is what God says. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So Aaron opened up the series by inviting us to leave the familiar, leave our home and synagogue and come down to the river start anew, have fresh eyes for the new things of God. Last week, I spoke about when we start new things, there is new resistance, so we have to be prepared for it, and uh, one of the things we said is beware of the temptation to provide for yourself like Jesus when he was in the wilderness, but we use the passage Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and so last week after service, we gave people opportunity to get a fresh word from God, from one another. And it was just such a beautiful and exciting time. And we had a crew online that went for a long time. They were all encouraging one another. It was so beautiful on Zoom. Um, but from that time, we have a cool testimony. Come on up, Meg. Let me grab a microphone for her. Meg was sharing with me just some things that God did for her in that moment. And I want to have her share that because it's encouraging. Hi, I'm Meg, like Sarah said. Um, I just want to talk about my experience last week. Um, on Sunday, we had teams giving prophetic words. After church, I was able to come up and get a word from the team, which was super encouraging. It was super good. I loved it. Um, I, I thought it's like, oh, this is who we are as a church. I'm so excited to be doing this. On Tuesday, I was getting math tutoring, and my math tutor had a crazy, interesting name. I felt like I should minister to him, which is definitely outside of my comfort zone. I love talking to people, but as far as like prophetic words go, like, ah, I just don't know. Um, but I went for it anyway, and I shared about his name's meaning and what it meant for him and his life. He was blown away, and he really received it well. So thank you, God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was reminded of 1 Samuel 10, 10, which is a very obscure story, but a good one. Um, just for reference, Samuel was a prophet to the kings of Israel, and Saul was the first king of Israel. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a, profession, a procession of prophets met him. The spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he joined in their prophesying. When those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, is this Saul? Is Saul also among the prophets? Back then, only certain people prophesied. 
And we see a rare moment when the king joined in because the spirit of God came upon him. Non-coincidentally, my math tutor and I were studying exponential growth. When God's heart for me was shared with me, I was able to share God's love for someone else. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I love how God's word opened up something new in Meg. And then Meg was able to pass that on and share it with someone else. And she did something new. She did something that she normally doesn't do because that's what happens when the spirit of God touches us. When Jesus comes in and touches us, something new happens and it's a new normal. Um, The other night, Aaron and I were having some dinner with some friends and we got talking about uh, growing up watching movies on VHS cassettes. I meant to bring one of those old, you know, those VHS cassette players. And Aaron is just loves the fact that his parents used to go down to the library or the book, the blockbuster and rent the whole VHS player. Remember how much effort it took? And you'd order the video ahead of time, hoping to get it before the other family down the street got it, you know, all of that. And I, it just got me thinking about movies and motion pictures and how we started off with rolls of film with an orchestra, live music. And then we were able to put audio to our film. And then there was TV and cable, then VHS tapes, then DVDs, and then IMAX, and then streaming, right? Now that's the thing is streaming. And virtual reality is something that is still kind of happening. But now we have this smartphone. It's our new normal when it comes to the motion picture story. After 30 years, all of these things fit in your pocket now, right? (laughs) That's what we used to look like in the 80s. (laughs) Anyways, from the beginning of time, story has been central to being human, right? Stories tell us where we come from, where we're going, what we value, what we live for. When I think about our Bible and our scriptures, that record our history with God, God's pursuit of us and how we should respond. And from the beginning, we know that we're created in God's image, designed for relationship with God and one another and for life in the garden, work and beauty and caring for the animals and creation. It's part of who we are. It's our motion picture story. And we've watched it be unveiled over time. It's like there's different iterations, right? God's relationship with humanity, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. We've got it written down in Genesis, the stories of the judges, the stories of the kings and queens, the wisdom and poetry books and the words of the prophets. And through all of this, we have this reoccurring theme, motif. There's a God who loves us, whose faithfulness reaches to the heavens, whose mercies are new every morning. The God who knows you before you were even born, who can count the hairs on your heads and writes your days in his book. The God who gives us new things or does new things, gives us new songs, new hearts. And all of this story keeps repeating that there's going to be this Messiah who comes. And it's the Messiah that Isaiah speaks about in the book of Isaiah. And this Messiah is going to come and bring good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners and the oppressed, sight for the blind, and the year of the Lord's favor that Aaron spoke about earlier. There's all this foreshadowing, all these clues. They all point to the Messiah figure. But there comes a day when God does this long-promised new thing and sends his son. 
I love how the gospel of John writes about it. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. There's that theme again and again. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. So this isn't just a motion picture story on a film with an orchestra playing in the background. This isn't a VHS recording. This isn't a Star Wars hologram from a galaxy far, far away saying, this is going to happen. Here we are. This is Jesus. It isn't even virtual reality. It's Jesus come in the flesh, making his home among us. And God does something radically new when Jesus does this, comes in the flesh and opens up a new normal for us. And then Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and we get to be part of this new normal. John 15, four says, remain in me and I will remain in you. There's this remaining, there's this abiding. It's like God is with us, Emmanuel. So what does this mission look like? We read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? What is this mission? It's, it's the mission. Jesus repeats the mission that was prophesied by Isaiah. And we've been reading this the last couple of weeks. I'm going to read it again. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there's three components to this mission. There's good news for the poor. So who are the poor? They're the needy, the people who don't have resources. They don't have wealth. They don't have provision. It's the people who don't have influence, position, honor, the lowly, the afflicted, those who might be helpless, powerless to accomplish an end. So we're going to see as we unpack this a bit that being poor is not just about not having money it's, or provision. It's also about being an outcast. And we're going to learn that Jesus is about providing for us when we are needy, including us when we feel disregarded, restoring us when we feel in shame or isolation. It's sight for the blind. Jesus is about sight for the blind. God wants us to see clearly, see naturally in the natural realm, but also to see ourselves, others, and God clearly. And then there's freedom for the prisoners and for the oppressed and the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to a, a tradition in the Old Testament in the times of Moses called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, according to Leviticus 25, there was supposed to be this wiping clean of the slate where um, forgiveness happened of sins or forgiveness of debt and pardons happened. And there was release from debt and bondage. And even the land, if your land had gone, if you owned land, but it, it had gone into debt with someone else, the land would even be restored to you. Interestingly, commentators don't see a lot of record that Israel actually practiced this. 
that they actually restored the land or that they actually pardoned one another and gave each other freedom and set the slaves free. But it was in God's heart long, long ago. But here comes Jesus. Jesus gets up and declares his mission, and he doesn't just say it, these three things, freedom for the oppressed and the prisoner, sight for the blind, good news for the poor. He doesn't just get up and say it. He gets out and he does it. He gets up and he goes and does it. He actually goes out and models what it means to invite people into a new normal. So I want to highlight a couple of examples of this from the book of Luke. Luke 4.32, Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, and he's in Capernaum, and, the, and this is the response to him. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. There was something about Jesus's words that helped others have encounters with God, experience God's tangible presence. They were amazed at his teaching. Jesus's words were followed by a power encounter. Next, it says in Luke 4, 32 through 35, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. This is the first miracle recorded in the book of Luke. Like he's going for the jugular, the wild. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out with injuring him. Welcome to ministry. <laughs> what a start. Next thing you know it, same day, Jesus is at Simon's mother-in-law. Mother Jesus is with, at Simon's house with his mother-in-law who's sick with a fever. Matthew 8, 15 says Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. Luke records it a little differently, but I thought he touched her hand and the fever left her. There's references in all the gospels of Jesus touching people. That's how close he was to them. That's how real this was. The word made flesh is touching us. Then these power encounters in the next section, Luke 4 through 41. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command. For Jesus, teaching and preaching meant participating in the power of the new kingdom. The new normal means the kingdom comes in power, not just talk. The new normal is the word made flesh, making his home among us. This is why I love that we embrace the gifts of the spirit here in our community. We listen for the Holy Spirit's activity in each other's lives. We listen for what the Lord might say, and there's power that accompanies the word. There was power that accompanied the word that was given to Meg. It enabled her to be free to share the word with someone else who then experienced power when they heard the word in their life. I was with a friend a week or so ago, and we asked the Lord, show us how to bring some healing in some areas where there was, there was oppression. 
And the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit showed us is to pray a new way. The old way was tied to some unhealthy religious patterns. So we're sitting there, quiet as can be. There was nothing crazy happening. We're just sitting there. We said, Holy Spirit, what do you want to show us? And through the course of conversation, there was a new way to pray that God gave us. A week or so later, I saw her filled with so much joy. What was the word used to describe what had happened to her? I feel so free. Freedom for the oppressed. Freedom for those who feel trapped. The kingdom comes in power, not just talk. Mark 16, 20, Mark describes it this way. The disciples went out and preached everywhere. The Lord was working with them. The Lord working with them and confirming the word accompanying through the accompanying signs. Excuse me, I'm tongue-tied. The Lord works with us, confirming the word with signs. We can and we should expect freedom from oppression, sight for the blind, as we step into the new normal of life with Jesus. How on earth is Jesus going to sustain his pace of ministry? Luke just described 24-hour period in which Jesus taught in the synagogue, set a man free from a demon, healed Simon's mother-in-law. Then they had a meal together. He finished the day healing everyone in the village, no matter what disease, and casting out more demons. How does he do it? Luke 4. 42 through 44. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Jesus starts the next leg of his journey with going out to isolated places. Jesus knew he had to withdraw. He had to be with the Father. He had to recharge for the next day of mission. In order to sustain the pace of the new normal, we're going to have to learn. We have to do this. It's the only way we'll make it. We also have to be keenly aware that the good news of the kingdom isn't just for us. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. Jesus said, I have to preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around. We get comfortable with, don't we? Don't we just get comfortable doing our own thing, doing, staying in our own space? But the gospel isn't just for you and me. The new normal means movement, change, generosity with the mission. The next story is from Luke 5. Jesus is preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There's a crowd pressing in on him. He sees two boats nearby. He sees Simon, who's become Simon Peter. And he's putting, he's packing up all his nets, washing the nets, putting them away. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, can I get in your boat? Can you take me out of ways? Just to give him some space from the crowd. So Jesus goes out a little bit into the Sea of Galilee and he's starting to teach. 
and preach with power and authority. Interestingly, Simon doesn't seem that convinced or engaged at that point. Maybe he was just tired from working all night. I don't know. But after teaching for a while, Jesus remembers, oh, this, this man, let me use his boats. I should, you know, bless this man with his boats. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but <laughs> there's a change in the scene. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, go, let's go back out to the sea. Let's go fishing. Let's go put out your nets again. And Simon's like, uh, I did that all night. It was not very successful. He, he seems reluctant to go, but Jesus persuades him. You all know what happens, right? He puts down his net. He gets so much, so many fish that he has to call the sons of Zebedee, James and John, come on over. And they come and they help him. They catch so much fish. They think their boat's going to sink. When Simon Peter, it says, Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replies to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The new normal, the new thing with Jesus brings sight for the blind. It isn't until Simon Peter dares to follow some of Jesus' instructions that his eyes are opened. It's like he takes a risk. I'm going to listen to what this guy's saying. And when he does it, and when he sees what God does, his eyes are opened. He falls to his knees. He says, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I'm such a sinful man. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't, even, he doesn't leave Simon, even though that's, Simon feels like, oh, you, you can't do this. I'm sinful. But he doesn't leave him. He says, don't be afraid. You're going to be fishing for people now. Let's go. Isn't that cool? When we, Peter and, Peter and his companion's eyes were opened in the natural to a catch of fish, but Peter's eyes were also opened spiritually to see Jesus and to see the condition of his own life. I'm such a simple man, but Jesus doesn't dwell on that. Just like Monica was saying earlier, it's not about shame or condemnation. It's about let's get going with what I have for you. Let's get going to the journey for you. His eyes are opened in the natural. His eyes are opened spiritually. And he gets a grasp, a feel for what jubilee means, what the year of the Lord's favor means. Don't be afraid. Let's go. And what does he do? He leaves everything. We don't want the old. We want the new. We want to be like Peter. Luke writes about another man with an advanced case of leprosy. Remember that if you had leprosy or a skin disease in the Bible, you were isolated and put in quarantine. And that meant poverty. I mean, how were you to work? How were you to sustain life? We can only imagine 
you know, how emotionally and how hard that would be for people. Luke 5, 12, 13 says that when this leper saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and he begged to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reaches out, touches him, says, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappears. So Jesus reaches out, touches this ritually unclean person, this man unfit for worship and life and community, the poorest of the poor, but he goes and he touches them. Guess what? There's good news for the poor. There's good news when you feel distanced, when you feel unclean, when you feel um, isolated or rejected or as an outcast. Imagine everyone just coming to Jesus, wanting to get a, a sense of this freedom, a sense of this touch. And that's what happens. Luke 5, 15 through 16, report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. What does Jesus do again? He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. One commentator said this, the verbs in this final, in the final sentences of this passage are interesting. We don't see this so much when we read it in English, but they're all in imperfect tense denoting continuing activity. The word about Jesus kept going out. Great crowds kept gathering to hear him and be healed. And he kept withdrawing to pray. Prayer and activity are constant companions in Jesus's mission. Jesus continually withdrew to solitary places to nourish his inner soul that gave, and this is what gave him the power to accompany the word. And it gave him the power to deal with great pressure of human needs and demands. I don't know about you, but I sometimes get overwhelmed by the need in the world. I think about Ukraine. I think about my neighbor. I think about um, another person down the street. And I know there's just so much need and I, I can start to feel overwhelmed. But when I come into God's presence and receive from God, he gives me the word to sustain the weary. He gives me the touch, the thing I need to give. What is it that people need? Because I don't have what you need. God has what you need. And so when I go and I get with God, I'm like, God, what do you want to say that will help me know what to give to these people with these, these needs? There's one more kind of poor. The rejected ones, just because they're just rejected for all sorts of reasons. This one is a tax collector. He wasn't poor financially. He had plenty of, he had lots of money, right? Levi, the tax collector. But it was a different kind of poverty. He was relationally bankrupt. He lived in shame and isolation, distance from his community. But Luke 5 says, Jesus saw this tax collector named Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
I love this. Luke 5, 27 through 31 says, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. There's rejoicing. There's feasting. There's food. <laughs> Yay. I love food. <laughs> Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call on those who think they are, not to call on those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Levi knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed to repent. And somehow that brought him joy. That brought him joy. I get to be with Jesus. I get to bring him my weight. I get to bring him. I get to turn to him. And there was good news. It was good news. It brought him joy. The new normal includes such a sense of celebration. It's like the prodigal coming home. One commentator calls the gospel of Luke, the gospel of contagious joy. Levi comes to Jesus and there's a feast. The prodigal comes home and there's a party. I had a friend say to me after they'd been coming to our church for a while, they said, when I first started coming to this church, <laughs> I thought everybody seemed so put together and so like they knew what, you know, everybody just looked like they had it all together. And I wondered, can I fit here? Will I belong here? Will I fit in? And I loved that she sensed God's peace and joy and wholeness and the fruit of the spirit in this place. And I just looked at her and I said, if you only knew what we're all really like <laughs> or what our histories are, where we come from. Because we're all like Levi, we're all like the leper, we're all like Simon, tired after working all night and not getting a catch. Like we don't have it all together. We're just a bunch of people who know we are sinners and need to repent. And it causes us joy, <laughs> not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but joy because we get to come to this place and celebrate and worship a God who surrounds us. His love surrounds us. And we're overwhelmed and it makes us happy. We're just a bunch of people who've dropped the fishing nets, left our tax booths to follow Jesus and to enter into a new normal. And it brings us great joy. Soon after this, Jesus invites a bunch of disciples to come with him. What does he do before he goes and invites all these disciples? He goes up onto a mountain to pray, and he prays to God all night. Can I emphasize it enough? <laughs> what brings us the power to accompany the word, what brings us the joy to, to enter this new day is time with Jesus. So I'm inviting Raylin up to share a story. <laughs> Ray Lynn had expressed to me um, 
over the last few years some weariness, some frustration, some disappointment with church and faith and her journey with the church and all sorts of things. Big church, not necessarily all of us, but just kind of all of us church. And we asked her to join in our roots group, the development of our roots group, which is a course designed for people who are interested in Jesus to learn about Jesus. And she agreed to work with us, to develop this course, to give us ideas and feedback. So she's been following Jesus a long time. But there was one day um, in our group when she said a yes to some new things. So I'm going to let you take it from here. Oh, did I turn it on? Sorry. We be hanging. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like Sarah said, Sarah gets a lot of my thoughts and opinions these days. So thank you. <laughs> um, I've been a believer for a while now. And I would say in the last few years, for sure, I've been taking honest looks at where there's so much messy. Um, I grew up in a kind of crazy messy, and I feel like I've always been surrounded by messy. And um, then I came, became a believer, sort of jumped in. And then as I've gone along on my faith journey, just be able to see like, hey, the church is messy. And kind of like Sarah said, I'm not saying when I say the church, I'm not necessarily pinpointing the fellowship. I mean, the church at large, the church at general, like it's just messy. There's just so um, much there. I love what Stanley said today about the us and them. That's that I was like, yes, um, because we are all in it. That's why I'm going to forever talk about the both. And like, it's all of it. We're all at this table. And if there's not enough room for the table, then we need to make a larger table. Um, but I joined the roots. I, I joined to help and I was excited to be there and to um, go along with all of this. And as I started doing it, I noticed that as I was dealing with a little bit of the mess and um, kind of processing that, I got to a point where we were in the roots two portion of the, um, I think we talked about the gifts of the spirit and then the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I, we, we did an I will statement. And in the I will statement, I was like, I I can't remember it as real poetic, y'all. So, but the ideal was basically I will be awake and aware to the gifts that God has put in me. And I will use those to help and encourage those around me. And as I did that, I really focused in on it um, those two weeks. Uh, we did it twice. The second week was like a building. So they're sort of similar. Um, but as I really did that, I just started getting a lot of clarity. I felt like Jesus was really speaking to me about um, that there is a lot going on and there is a lot of mess, but to kind of focus in on what he's doing and move forward with that. And as I started doing that, I think there were so many new things that started happening. People were starting to be drawn to me, even at work. Things that normally wouldn't ever happen were happening where I was talking about my faith. Um, people who would be considered marginalized and on the edges, but just have a hunger for Jesus started coming to me. And so I just loved it. And so that's where it was at. The messy still there. It's all still there, but we can work through that. But the idea of just 
keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And I was also not letting myself get stuck in all that old stuff. Like, like I'm just not going to focus on that. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on what it should be, which is Jesus. And that'll get me there. So I think that's what she wanted. Like I said, I talked to her about a lot. She gets lots of my thoughts. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely. Um, she's been following Jesus a long time, but she's said yes to a new normal for sure. She's telling me crazy stories from work. Like you did what? You did what? It's just so exciting. But I love also, she said, it's bringing clarity. It's bringing joy. One day I, I, we were together and I was like, you're hyper today. And I, and she was like, and I was like, oh no, go back to hyper. That's joy. <laughs> That's joy. It's, it's cause you're excited and you're alive. And it's because the Holy Spirit spoke to her. She said, yes. She said, I will. And then she went about her day, messy life, listening for the Holy Spirit. And now she's got good news for the poor, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed and the prisoner. How cool is that? So would you be willing to step into a new normal with Jesus? We're going to take a minute and practice this. We're going to take two minutes of quiet. And I'm going to ask we can, if we can put that first question on the board. It's like we're withdrawing to a quiet place, even though we're in this big place with a bunch of people. And in, in children's church, we do prayer caves where we, we just crouch like this so we try not to be distracted. Imagine you're in a prayer cave. <laughs> And let's just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, bring to mind one thing I've learned today that I can apply to my life this week. We're just going to get, we've come here to encounter God. God speaks to us. So let's take two minutes here to ask the Lord this question. We're not used to silence, are we, sometimes? But I know the Lord certainly highlighted something for me. Next, I'm going to dare you to be like Simon Peter and follow up on his instructions and make an I will statement. Because this is what really changed it. We're talking with Ray, she's like, it's because you made us write it down and tell someone. <laughs> So I'm going to challenge you to write an I will statement. You can pull out your phone and text it to yourself. You can pull out your notes. You can write yourself a reminder, whatever it is. 
but write down your I will statement. And then we're gonna close out the service with an invitation to share your I will statement with a friend um, here with us, share your I will and pray for one another and um, share your I will statement with someone and then they can pray with you and you can pray with them and you'll just say, Lord, help so-and-so respond to this this week, help them move in this this week. And um, let's see what the Holy Spirit does. Let's see what us happens with us disciples this week as we're all at our tax booths and fishing spots and whatever else it is we do. Let's see what God does in our midst and what breaks open, just like with our prayer walks. Let's see what happens. So we're going to close out our service now. Um, we've got a prayer team here at this table. So if you came here alone or you don't know anyone here and you'd like to pray, you could join our prayer, the people at our prayer team, you could pray with them, or I'll be in the um, foyer. If you want to pray with me, I'll pray with you, or you can just take it and find a way to pray with someone later on. But um, we just want to thank you all for coming. Thank you for worshiping with us. It's wonderful to hear your voices and to pray together and worship with one another. And um, God bless you. Go get, grab your kids from Children's Church too. Amen.